I'm Bama Athrea, and you're listening to episode five of The Gig. This podcast started out as a project to document and record stories of what it was like to work in the gig economy around the world. That clip you just heard was from January 2020. I found myself in a room filled with app-based drivers from two dozen countries chanting in solidarity with one another. Honestly, that's not at all what I expected when I started this project. But as I asked drivers for their stories, that was the story I was told. And as I found myself documenting it, I looked back at how the whole story started in July 2019, when I went to South Africa to interview drivers and other gig workers about what it was like to work on platforms. I was interested in how platforms like Uber were able to disrupt even very low-wage informal markets. I had an open mind. I was wondering if this was a good or a bad deal for drivers, and also how the companies were making any money considering how low the fares were. Drivers like Derek from Cape Town spelled it out for me, and you can listen to his interview on episode two. The company simply ignored the laws regulating fares and licensing. Then he and others started telling me about something I hadn't really expected to hear, that drivers were fed up and they were organizing. So I started following that story. It wasn't easy. It's not like there is some natural place to find gig workers. Remember, they get their jobs through apps. There isn't a single workplace. Gig workers are isolated, and in many ways, until recently, they've been invisible to the rest of us. Now, in this pandemic time, as we are more and more compelled to rely on gig workers, they are becoming more visible. More and more people around me are starting to realize the dangers and challenges that gig workers face. That realization is making my interviews from last year even more compelling as I wonder what the companies might have done differently before this crisis hit. So now back to our story. I found out that drivers were organizing, as I mentioned, in all kinds of different places. So I started asking them in these interviews, why? We heard some of the reasons in episode four. They just wanted to negotiate with the companies. They were being deactivated for no reason and they didn't know how to have the conversation about what could be done about that. We met Yassine from the UK back in episode one, and we found out in the last episode that he had a big idea, that he could bring organizers together from around the world, and that collectively maybe they could do something bigger than any of them could do individually. The next thing was I always wanted to have this international thing because I knew drivers want to meet one another, they want to organize because we all felt isolated. Like to me, it was like, it's only me fighting a dead end fight and I'm going to lose and I'm fighting a company like Uber. But I knew if I could put everyone together, it would work. And this is exactly what we've done with UPATs. It's a crazy idea. I'm not the only one who thought so. If it's very difficult to organize any kind of a protest in in one city to try and get it like 
nationwide or <laughs> international, you know, that that's just would be very hard to do. Well, kind of impossible. That was Tess Munchik, and she didn't actually want me to use that little clip. Sorry, Tess. But to be fair, that was from the first time we met last summer, and she did not yet know that her life was about to change. We're going to hear from her again, don't worry. But first, to explain just how everything started to come together, I want to introduce you to two more people, Nicole Moore in Los Angeles and Jude Matthew in Chennai, India. I'm Nicole Moore, and I am a part-time Lyft driver in Los Angeles. Um, I uh, started driving um, a little over two years ago when, um, you know, we had a bad um, loan, basically, for our house, and um, uh, it doubled uh, the the monthly costs, and we had to figure out what to do, and um, we cut all our costs and did everything we could. And we still had an income gap, so um, we made a decision um, that uh, we need more income. And I went on the road to drive, and um, that was um, that was two and a half years ago. And um, so that's uh, how I got involved in driving. Nicole is an activist with Rideshare Drivers United. Like Rebecca from San Francisco, who we met in previous episodes, she got involved with organizing when she realized that driving just wasn't a very good deal for drivers. So now let's find out just how she became an important factor in Yassine's plans. That started in January of 2019, when Uber made a draconian cut to its mileage rates in the Los Angeles area. It was a huge problem. And drivers were mad and drivers said we should go on strike and we were hearing from everybody. I was like, well, let's go on strike. So that was March. That was March 25th. Um, and, um, and it was incredible. <laughs> we, um, we did a, you know, a 25 hour street, uh, um, a 25 hour strike. Um, we pulled a lot of drivers out of their cars and three hundred. over, 300 of the drivers showed up for a picket in front of um, an Uber office, and um, it was very powerful, and boy, did the press come out and cover that event, and um, that helped us um, make connections with drivers all over the country and um, internationally as well, and um, we had several calls from driver groups in other areas saying, hey, we need to do this bigger. And we, next time you go on strike, call us because we want to go on strike with you. Well, this is during a time when Lyft and Uber were going public, um, you know, uh, becoming publicly traded um, corporations. And, um, you know, that was all the talk, investing in these new unicorn tech companies. And, um, you, know, you know, was it going to be a good investment? And everybody's really into it. And people really weren't talking about what was happening with their labor model. And um, we knew that we had a huge opportunity in front of us. Now, with this stock stuff, you never know when the public offering is going to happen, when stocks actually go on sale. You never know that stuff. But, you know, we had heard it was going to be somewhere in the beginning of May, but we didn't know for sure. And so, um, you know, we, we spent a lot of time trying to figure out when to have a strike. And we decided to strike on May 8th. And then we started getting in touch with our, um, our national, um, you know, other drivers in the United States. 
um, who had said they wanted to strike. Well, we talked to folks in Chicago, of course, in New York Taxi Workers Alliance, um, and and um, and our Northern California counterparts, and and we started building uh, a national uh, strike. And I think there was somebody in New York City <laughs> sitting down at their computer who had a lot of international connections and started um, getting. Um, you know, folks from uh, Nigeria, folks from Sao Paulo, folks from Central America, folks from India, getting everybody involved. And um, we all went on strike on the 8th of May, and it was epic. And we changed the conversation. So, after May 8th, 2019, people from around the world had Nicole's number, literally. She was a natural person for Yassine to contact when he had his crazy idea. And there was someone else Yassine decided he needed to get involved with the planning also. Jude Matthew in Chennai, India. Jude was another accidental organizer. I had a long conversation with him and he told me about his career as an independent small business owner. I was fascinated with his story because, unlike some of the others, he really did see himself as an independent contractor and he was proud to be so. Prior to any ride-hailing apps appearing on the scene, he owned and rented private hire cars and he worked as a driver but also employed a handful of other drivers. In his hometown of Chennai, this was a really good business. There were always travelers who wanted short-term car and driver services. So he didn't actually mind, as he told me, when the apps first came to town, because he figured it would just make it easier for an independent business person like himself to hook up with customers. But then he found out that the company's real game was getting control of all that customer data that had made his small business a success. So he set out to get back control and uh, to get out of the apps by setting up a Facebook page. When the company such Ola and Uber entered into, into the market, it was, uh, yes, we had a, our uh, heavenly time. Uh, the period is uh, 2015, 2016, 2017. End of 2017, we had a tough time. Whereas the incentives have been reduced and working hours have been raised uh, and uh, you know, the targets have been uh, given to the drivers. So end of the 2017, we had our tough time when the company had changed their policies. Uh, when the Ola and Uber entered into the market in another six months period, these companies has shut down their operations and small small companies like uh, uh, the million dots or uh, friends track welcome taxi all these players regional players have washed away i thought i should uh, communicate this to a, a, a public forum to create more awareness to the public to come down to the traditional business so that Yes, we are struggling. Why? Because these giant companies are fixing up the fare. I have uh, started a public forum uh, that is Facebook page uh, to communicate to my uh, uh, to my society. But later on, when I go on uh, uh, live, uh, people uh, from the R uh, uh, travel uh, 
they were inquired to form a common association so uh, that motivated me to uh, to organize the uh, driver community so by 2019 juden had not exactly revived his business but he had organized a powerful driver network Jude and Nicole didn't know each other and neither of them knew Tess at that time, but they were all about to agree to join Yassine's organizing group. Yassine and his union were able to raise enough money to cover travel costs. And in January of this year, 2020, they actually brought everyone together. I was able to join them and I was amazed at what I witnessed. I got to chat with drivers from Indonesia, Cambodia, Chile, Brazil, France and Canada. Translation was going on in half a dozen languages at the same time as they kicked things off. Okay, everyone take a seat. We're ready to uh, begin. So firstly, I want to uh, welcome everyone here today. So this is the first convention of app-based drivers from all around the world. So I just want to introduce myself. My name is Yassine Landland. So as I've said, that was back in January of this year. And then everyone went home again. And within a few weeks, all our countries started going into lockdown to halt the spread of coronavirus. I stayed in touch with all the main organizers throughout the past few months and to all of our surprise, despite the incredible hardships drivers are facing right now, they're doing more organizing than ever. This was especially remarkable because as gig workers, they were already overcoming the challenge of being isolated, of not having any natural way to find and see and talk to each other. Now, with social distancing and even greater isolation, how could they keep doing it? Nicole in Los Angeles gave me some further insights. You all are continuing to organize even in the face of some of like the worst times, you know, economically that we have seen since the Great Depression. Talk a bit about what you've been able to do because you really have been amazing. You know, you guys have kept at it and it's very inspiring and I I think people need to hear about that. Well, to start with, I mean, the the coronavirus has been devastating 
to um, the drivers. Um, um, basically, our rides have dried up. Um, you know, um, I, I also drive for a service that um, transports kids to and from school, and like there isn't school, you know, <laughs> so that's gone. <laughs> um, and you know, in terms of Uber and Lyft rides, you know, I mean, where um, you get dependable long rides is from the airport. There are no flights coming in and out, like maybe five or six flights a, a day from one of the largest airports in the world, right? Um, so people people can leave their driver apps on all day long and maybe get two or three rides. I mean, people are reporting um, a 60 or 70 hour uh, week and um, bringing in less than $100. So there is no work. Um, and um, so people are trying to make... Um, and there are safety you know, issues. Uh, to, well, yeah. And so, you know, I mean, the thing is now that airport drivers rides are dried up, the rides that are left are transporting, you know, uh, healthcare workers to and from the hospital. And then, you know, honestly, a lot of people choose um, Uber and Lyft over um, over other kinds of transportation um, can need to go to the hospital. So it's, it's, a, it's a horrible, horrible problem. So what I will say is that any driver that can has gotten off the road. And, um, you know, people have pivoted to, you know, food delivery and stuff like that. I mean, I'm getting messages. I, I, I mean, I, I just got a message from somebody that we're trying to help people with getting their unemployment. And we've got a really good process for people online. It's been really helpful. But then in the end, there's still people stuck without benefits, right? And I had somebody write who said, look, my situation is so difficult. My kids are hungry, I'm starving. Like, that's what they're saying to me. And we're trying to get them help through the state of California. Um, so, you know, I, I just, you know, this is on um, the shoulders of Lyft and Uber who are not following the law. Um, you know, uh, so so that's, that's one of the things that's going on right now. We're definitely dealing with the fact that, you know, drivers don't have PPE. They, you know, you know, Basically, you know, Uber is now requiring drivers to wear a mask, but not providing them. And then, um, but, you know, a mask is not enough for a car. Um, how do you get the, you know, a plastic shield between front and back seats? And, um, you know, that's all on the drivers, again, who have no money in their, in their bank accounts at the time, right? It's just ridiculous. So, so that's, that's the you know, kind of the coronavirus crunch. And, you know, through all this, what's, what's amazing is we're all still connected and we've been able to do um, some actions. We did some caravans um, on um, both the um, unemployment insurance offices as well as um, state. Um, and, um, I mean, it's incredible what drivers have been able to accomplish. And there's so much energy. It's such a great group of people. Um, and, you know, um, people are continuing to build their own union while going through all this stuff. It was surprisingly hopeful to hear Nicole talk about everything they were able to do to assist drivers at this difficult time. And also that they were reaching more drivers than ever despite the social isolation. Jude had built up a powerful network of drivers in South India. And in episode four, I also introduced you to Anand Kuta, an organizer from another Indian city, Mumbai. 
Just to remind everyone, Jude and Anand had succeeded in bringing together drivers from all over India back in December of 2019. Remember, India is the second most populous country in the world, and people speak dozens of different languages, so bringing people together was no small feat. Listeners might remember a snippet of my interview with Anand in episode 4. I went back to him just very recently to find out what the National Federation is able to do at this time. We find ourselves in a, in a very, very, I would say, precarious condition and situation where our incomes are zero, our cabs have totally stopped. There's not a single cab which is flying across India on any of the roads. There are people who are applying on emergencies, but that's that is very, very special case. Not even about 0.1 to 0.2% of the cabs applying across India. So for the past almost 55 to 60 days, the incomes are zero. The savings are depleting. Yes. Yeah, no, and that reminds me. I mean, one, you know, when we met, it had been a very exciting time just a few months ago because you were able to launch IFAT. I would love if you could talk a little bit about, in this moment, has IFAT been able to continue to organize? It sounds like you've been able to continue. And, and can you just talk a little about how the organization is doing now and what it's been able to do? Yeah. Uh, let me share uh, this experience that IFAT was formed in the month of November, December uh, uh, 2019. And IFAT has been very successfully been able to garner support from across states in India. So many states came together. The unions from different states came together to form IFAT. I think IFAT has played a great role in terms of representing the driver community on a national scale. Now it is important that we proliferate IFAT and take it to a level where um, the number that we talked about, you know, two and a half, three million, uh, each each of the each of the driver uh, community member should be able to relate and understand about uh, the effort IFAT is putting through, and I think uh, uh, we're doing a great job on IFAT front too. IFAT has written straight to the transport uh, union transport minister, Mr. Nitin Gadkari, and uh, we've had uh, we've had a couple of meetings with them as well. So a lot of developments from IFAT side. A lot of uh, positivity from my fat side and a lot of empathy with the driver community also gives uh, to, uh, you know, co contributing towards the growth of the IFAT. I was encouraged to hear that their new federation in India, IFAT, was meeting and raising its demands with the national government. That was something I really never expected to hear happen either. I asked Anand to talk about the connection between their national federation and the new international network they had just launched. It was interesting to hear just how closely he was following developments in other countries. Important part now is uh, the first point on hand is deal with this coronavirus situation. Now, as we speak, there are issues. We speak about it in the UK, which we know that uh, the drivers are furious with the viewpoint uh, set up in the UK that there will be no screens allowed between the customers and the driver. So we get to know, we get to negotiate with our own respective governments. We get to, we get to debate with our, our own authorities and their viewpoints because not necessarily all the authority viewpoints are in the interest of the driving community. 
so we get to we get to understand we get to share the best practices from across the world i think that's the that's the best part which which is a take off from uh, from the formation and as we speak there are daily developments about what's happening in philadelphia what's happening in california what's happening in the us what's happening down chile what's happening down in 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 the europe's of the world and this is uh, in the africas of the world australias of the world and this is good food for thought for people like us in india to uh, you know to help and negotiate uh, better with the governments the connections have clearly been relevant to drivers here in the united states too us drivers held a facebook live event on may 8th of this year exactly a year after the action that nicole described the action on may 8th 2019 that unexpectedly caught the attention of drivers from around the world I got to join them this year and they agreed to have me record the meeting which included messages of solidarity from some of their new allies around the world. Take a listen and see what you think about whether they've managed to keep up that energy level since January. The gig is up. Drop it. Hello my friends. Thank you so much for joining us here. It is an honor to be standing here in front of you May 8, 2020, 1 year removed from when all the drivers from communities from around the world got together to say enough is enough to Uber before their IPO and we are gathered here today to celebrate that to tell you about the past present and future of the driver organizations and their movements and <clears throat> about a breath hyped up so my name is Lenny Sanchez I am an organizer with Gig Workers Matter been driving for over 5 years now father of 3 I bought into the idea that I could be a business owner and control my business make $90,000 a year more up like they used to advertise back in the day but I realized that wasn't the case and I started organizing and I'm here today I've been around a lot of you know me and now we're going to hear from our friends from around the states that have been working together and accomplishing a lot I couldn't actually tell how many people were on that Facebook live event. Uh it was clear to me that it was at a minimum hundreds of drivers from around the country, possibly thousands. And there were these solidarity messages from their allies in other countries. Hola, soy José Gabriel Escano de la Asociación de Conductores de Plataformas Digitales de Panamá y quiero enviar un mensaje alto y claro a Uber. El concierto terminó. Today to our American brothers and sisters from lockdown in Melbourne Australia. I'm Debra from the Rideshare Driver Network and I'm here to say have courage, have faith, stay strong, stand together, stick together, get online, protest and solidarity from Australia. My name is Comrade Ayuade Ibrahim, Nupet President from Nigeria Uber Driver. We commensurate with our brother driver in United States of America. We are together, keep the fire burning. We appreciate your work, the good work you are doing, and I will use this opportunity to tell all the drivers in America to join the local local organizer to be with them to be with you in Nigeria, we be with you in Africa, we solidarity with you, solidarity forever. And since May 8th, even with social distancing, it hasn't all been virtual. There have been live actions too. A driver caravan showed up outside the gates of the Uber CEO's mansion in San Francisco 2 weeks ago. Street protests have taken place in Brazil and France. And there's been a legal victory in Canada. 
Also, I've noticed there's been unprecedented media attention to gig workers everywhere. But the story isn't over yet. All eyes are now on the UK to see what its Supreme Court decides in a critical legal fight that involves two of the people you've met, James and Yassine. We may find out the outcome of that case by our next and final episode for this season. Frankly, even I don't know how this story is going to end. And it's not just because of their case. So many things are happening that I never expected. In the next few weeks, who knows what else will happen? And I've also started wondering what the rest of us should be thinking about as we consider the future of work, because it's our future too. What do we want it to look like and what can we build at this time of crisis and opportunity? Find out on the next and final episode of The Gig. You've been listening to The Gig with Bama Athreya. My producer is John Ross. I'd like to thank my advisory team and all the people who generously shared time for these interviews. I'd also like to thank the Open Society Foundations for their support for this project. If you want to check out more great podcasts about working people, listen to this little something to end with. Hey folks, it's Mark, your host on My Labor Radio. You can find us on multiple podcast platforms, and this show is now part of the laborradionetwork.org. You can discover more than just us by visiting their website. The Labor Radio Network will help you find your next new favorite union podcast or radio show. A simple network of folks from across the nation. Working people keep raising their voices more and more each day and demanding better treatment from their workplaces and their elected officials. As you know, these voices don't get heard very much on the corporate-controlled media. But the 21st century's labor movement has a new way to get its message out there. And working people don't rely on traditional media gatekeepers. It's now the internet, so you can turn off your TV to get the real news. So that gets us to that one-stop shop. Just visit laborradionetwork.org. On the main page, you'll see a grid of show logos. Just click one, and the description and links pop up right there. It's worth going to visit this ever-growing Voices of Labor resource. Join us at laborradionetwork.org.